This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who is on this podcast and the other person who lives in this home. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. Instead of how are you, this week I'm going to ask if whiskey could speak, what do you think its voice might sound like? <laughs> like that. Oh, a, <laughs> a nice robust laugh. Yep. Do you think whiskey is laughing with me or at me specifically when you hear a whiskey's laugh toward me? Is oh, it laughing with me or at me? With. Whiskey okay. is wa- laughing <laughs> with everybody. <laughs> laughing and whaffing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just poured ourselves a nice little bit of whiskey because it seemed appropriate to have just a, a little bit to imbibe as we discussed our topic for this episode, which is the film, the James Bond film, No Time to Die. I think I am very obsessed with this film, so I'll be really <laughs> excited uh, to dive in and have a discussion about it. We always like to start the podcast with caveats. Uh, first caveat that I want to share is that we only saw it once. Uh, a lot of times when I uh, talk about a movie, I'm really happy to be able to have seen it two or three times. Uh, but this one we only got to see once. So maybe there's a line of dialogue we don't remember exactly as it was, that kind of thing. Uh, so bear with us on that. Uh, also, you and I had the pleasure of seeing it at uh, Grauman's in Hollywood. Big, beautiful IMAX, the, the, the fanciest sound known to modern technology as far as I understand. Uh, we saw it at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon because that was the earliest that we could see the film. And there was a good size audience there. Lots of uh, applauding as soon as the James Bond music played. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, applause and sighs of relief when it said James Bond will return at the end. Uh, so great audience, but not entirely full. And when some of those big, uh, huge speakers surround everything, uh, theaters aren't entirely full. Every once in a while, I have a little bit of a hard time hearing some lines of dialogue. Do you mm-hmm. have that experience as well? I do. It's like there's too much sound for the amount of air. In this room? <laughs> that makes no sense. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there, I would say, like, there were maybe, like, four or five lines where it's just, like, I didn't quite hear exactly that. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that happened as well, uh, and I look forward to hearing it again. Also, second caveat, spoilers. Uh, we always do full spoilers on Obsessed, and uh, for this James Bond film, uh, there's more things to be spoiled about <laughs> than normal. <laughs> Especially if you're talking about one of the kind of classic James Bond films where, well, he has an adventure and everything works out. <laughs> there are only so many spoilers for Moonraker, in my opinion, uh, mm. but no time to die. Big spoiler time. Uh, this movie is directed by Kerry Fukunaga, his first uh, Bond film. The writing credits are a story by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. They are a writing team, and they have been involved uh, with Bond since 1999, since The World Is Not Enough. Uh, Kerry Fukunaga also has a story by credit. And then the screenplay by credits are uh, Purvis and Wade, uh, Fukunaga, and then Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who, according uh, to interviews uh, and statements, uh, Daniel Craig requested that Phoebe Waller-Bridge do a pass on the script for just general fun, but also to I- enhance the perspective of, uh, of the women characters, or the character of the women characters. So uh, that's the main creative team. I want to dive into this first uh, by talking about a journey that you and I went on, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched all previous 24 official James Bond films, we did not watch uh, Never Say Never Again, but maybe we will. I think we watched all of the other 24 films leading up to No Time to Die. After that experience, what for you 
is really the appeal of cinematic James Bond. What do you enjoy or what do you want out of a James Bond movie? Yeah, there's so many things that I enjoy. Um, so this is a hard one for me to to narrow down, but I'll give it a go. Um, I think one of the things is I like seeing how far they the movies can have you suspend your disbelief. <laughs> how far can they push it? And um, and how far are you willing to go with them? And it's changed over the years, but I think that's one of the things that I really personally get joy out of um both the times when i'm like yeah no i'm not there with you and other times i'm like yeah totally with there there with you (laughs) sure that volcano is totally a real volcano right there with you um so there's that um i i like overall some suspension of of reality but i also like the ways that it does interact with the real real world um as i've said in other topics that we've talked about i am a fan of kind of espionage spy you know movies books tv shows etc so i like ones that include a little bit more of the espionage element to it yeah Um, so like you like ones where he maybe uh poses as someone or sneaks in and gets a photograph or really kind of pulls a thread and follows a clue in that that kind of plot mechanic absolutely especially the like pulls a thread and follows a clue or puts something together that you know it's like "Eh, this isn't quite working i'm gonna go follow this person in my boat or something like that (laughs) (laughs) if all Um, espionage was following people in a boat i would absolutely be into a career in espionage right and those usually end up with a big chase and lots of fire and explosions so probably not really (laughs) uh, ideal espionage um i do i do like a good gadget yeah I, i know not everybody does and i know that's something that's come and gone over the years but i do i don't need them but i do enjoy them um and of course uh to me another one that i just really like are the uh the the big um grand locations yeah Uh, and that to me actually is one of the key elements of a bond a cinematic bond experience yeah we were watching uh, on some nice blu-rays in particular like for some of the uh, earlier films i haven't seen on blu-ray and as you and i sat and watched we did a lot of ooing and eyeing right <laughs> at the did. establishing <laughs> shots and that is a part of it you know going back to to the early films uh, but even now like it's almost like watching the james bond films can be like a bucket list of i want to go to there oh my gosh like yes. we started jokes of like i want to drink there I want to swim in a pool there. Right? <laughs> I don't want to be chased by a shark there. I do want a boat there. I don't want to be blown up there. But yeah, but you want to go to there. Yeah. And yeah. that is, I think, a huge part of the appeal of the films. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to skate down that mountain. And I do have to say also the um, some of the big stunts. You know, yeah. Is, um, again, not necessarily I have to. But I do appreciate them when they're there. Yeah, the tradition of the like absolute jaw dropping. A real person did that and they put it on film. Yeah. And now I'm just watching it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. A lot of great things. I think for me, uh, this is a really fun journey because I I love the literary bond. We did a podcast a while back about my general obsession with James Bond. And I went on and on about the novels. I really want to stay kind of focused on cinematic bond because uh, they obviously are related, <laughs> but different. So I've always gravitated to the films where there's a little, it's a little bit more of a thriller than a just wild fun adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like Dr. No, cause it, even though it's over the top and it was in, in 1962, it's still a little bit more grounded, a little bit more espionage, a little bit of a, of a man uh, trying to live life at its highest 
because he has a brutal, dark job that could lead to his death at any moment. Uh, so I, I like Dr. No. I like On Her Majesty's Secret Service, The Living Daylights. I love the whole Daniel Craig era. So I I tend towards the, the espionage, the thriller, the gritty. There's really stakes for the character. Uh, but I also love the parts of Bond that are just fun and adventure and escapism. You get to see uh, beautiful places and wild gadgets. And I appreciate the some of the later Connery stuff and the more stuff that is over the top and really want to embrace the James Bond films as they uh, have all of these core things that are related, you know, but they also change a ton. And in some ways it's weird, like comparing Moonraker to No Time to Die. <laughs> it's like comparing, uh, you know, video games to uh, Awake. <laughs> you know, like it, 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 they're very, just very, very different things. Uh, mm-hmm. That may sound like a negative opinion about No Time to Die. It is not. We'll get to that. Uh <laughs> I think for me, ultimately, the best way to sum it up is I love the bonds where the there is this great tension between style, sophistication, beauty, pleasure, and the brutal horror of his job in what mm-hmm. he has to do in what people, what the villain, what awful things the villains are trying to do. I think that to me is ultimately the most like unique to James Bond. Like mm-hmm. some of the scenes in Casino Royale, like. I am in a nice tux. I am drinking the nicest uh, booze surrounded by rich people and elegance. But I go around the corner and it's fighting with a machete and blood and danger. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the most James Bond. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to have a little bit of a sense of what we liked because I think that it really uh, helps frame the conversation about No Time to Die. Because No Time to Die I think is very unique in that it has a ton of of fun in action. Great. Uh, Aston Martin with uh, machine guns. Great. It has a gadget and everything. There's fun and there's quips. Uh, but there is incredibly high, high emotional stakes and it's about who James Bond is. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to be invested in different elements. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in absolutely. order to really, really enjoy No Time to Die, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get into that then. What was your overall reaction to No Time to Die? Did you love it? Did you like it? Did you struggle with it? A mixture? <laughs> Big picture, I loved it. There are many, many parts of it that I loved. Big picture, I loved it. Um, many details, I loved it. And there are a few parts that I'm still struggling with. <laughs> uh, can I ask, since we are being totally spoiler-free, are you struggling with the amount of emotion that it elicited from you with some of these sad things at the end? Uh, are you struggling with emotions or are you struggling to decide whether you liked it? Yeah. And I just, you said spoiler-free, but we're going full spoiler. Oh, I'm right? at spoiler full. Okay. Yes. Spoiler full. <laughs> um. <laughs> we're going to have a spoiler-free conversation about what happens at the very end of the film. <laughs> Just like to clarify. Thank you for yeah. the correction. Yeah. So um, just to go all in and spoil, if I may, uh, it, it's a, I'm I'm torn about some, the ending. Yeah. But how you feel about it? I'm torn about it within the James Bond oeuvre. Okay. I am torn. Ab- and here's why I think I was specifically thinking about the the idea of like suspension of disbelief and being a little bit like you're in reality and certainly especially you know some of the earlier ones like you mentioned but you know watching the daniel craig ones they do have that much more gritty much more in the like you can feel james bond existing in the world more than you can with some of the others Mm -hmm. um so they have that reality to them and i like it 
But I also, um, but James Bond always survives. <laughs> and that changed. Yeah. And I'm, um, and I'm, I'm just not sure about it for, just for myself. Like as the movie, I totally get it storyline wise, all of that. Like I totally understand. And I'm not saying I think it was a bad choice. I'm just saying on the purest of individual, my own reaction and myself, um, it's a it's such a different choice. Um, and when we can talk more about it, I want to let you oh, yeah, talk no, as well. Don't worry. But. We will definitely talk about it <laughs> in many ways. It's the big thing uh, to talk about. Partially also why I wanted to frame this conversation of like, I really want to have understanding and empathy for people who like, I love James Bond when it's a fun adventure. And I don't mind if he has some high stakes, but I, could, I, I feel for people who wanted to come to this movie of just having a fun adventure and leave uh, pumping their fist. Mm-hmm. And and I understand that there's probably a lot of various strong opinions because while uh, I think James Bond wins, <laughs> he does also uh, pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand how so- for some people, if they're not into the gritty and the character and the who is Bond and what are the big ideas here and just want to walk out on a high because James Bond won again, that this film might be upsetting. Um, for myself, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it really captured the the spirit of bond in many spirits of what james bond has been because it is this it had this mixture of action and charm and style and funny i thought a lot of it was possibly with the influence of phoebe waller bridge the work of phoebe waller bridge it was funny Mm -hmm. it was lively even though it had a lot of uh, uh dark and upsetting things happening in it um i thought there were some great tributes to the past uh but all of them felt meaningful. None of them felt like just check a nostalgia box. It felt like if they're making a reference to something, it is to really examine it mm-hmm. and uh, and and look at it in a in a new light. Um, I thought it really uh, fulfilled its promise of uh, acknowledging, resolving all of the kind of plot threads and big ideas of the Daniel Craig era specifically, since this was a an era where all the films ended up being connected ultimately and. Uh, these issues of identity and trust and how do spies fit into the modern world and breaking cycles of violence. All those themes had been played with in the previous four films, and then they were really resolved in this film. So I thought that was great from just an idea perspective. And then the big thing to me, and to talk about the thing that you're wrestling with, is I think it took advantage of an opportunity to tell a Bond story that's never been told before. Yeah. Uh, this franchise, going back years, has been criticized for being too repetitive or getting a formula and sticking to it. And uh, it's 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 another bond, but it's fine. Uh, and this was this great opportunity in that they've told Daniel Craig's story from the beginning. This James Bond is ending, so they're able to tell a story they never had of James Bond dying. Mm-hmm. And in particular with that, I think what was what is great about it is it wasn't just like, well, Daniel Craig doesn't want to do it anymore. We're, we're probably going to reboot and have a new Bond so we can kill him. It, it didn't it isn't just the shock value. The whole film to me is about it. It's about taking this great question of Bond, literary Bond, and for the most part, cinematic Bond has always been defined by a guy who lives the high life because he is walking next to death. At all times. And what is it like? What does it take for a guy who has been walking with death his entire life to finally turn and face it himself truly? 
Mm-hmm. Like it's more than just a character dying because the actor isn't coming back. It's oh, really yeah. able to invest in the idea of who is James Bond and somebody who's had death as a huge part of his life. How does he face his own? Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful and interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so let's get into some of those uh, big picture ideas of what's going on in the film. Uh, so I wrote down some thoughts and then I'll ask you for your thoughts on the thoughts. Fantastic. <laughs> and it'll be like Thoughtsy a conversation. Dots. What? Yeah. With microphones. <laughs> so um, one of the big things that I really liked is this idea of letting go, moving on, acknowledging the cycle of violence. Uh, in a, uh, some ways that I saw that represented, right, is um, the film begins in Matera, right? Um, it, and there is this tradition of writing things you need to let go on a piece of paper and burning them. It starts with such a <laughs> cathartic idea in an explicit conversation between Bond and his uh, partner that he's trying to have a, a normal relationship with, mm-hmm. uh, Madeline Swan, saying they both need to do this and let go so that they can move on and try to be uh, together. So the film just starts immediately with that concept. Uh, then this story continuing from Spectre is that Bond is trying to retire, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to walk away. He's trying to reject a life of endless violence. Um, it also continues the plot thread uh, that Bond is specifically letting go of distrust. Uh, you start with Casino Royale with him really patting himself on the back that he can read people. Mm-hmm. And then he feels betrayed that he can't, thinks he couldn't read Vesper mm-hmm. and is wrestling uh, with that, knows that he needs to let go of that issue in order to move on uh, and even gets to the point where he says, uh, I, I, I failed, Madeline, to let go of that, but but I'm not going to fail this time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's literal moving on there. Then just a ton of the characters are defined by the trauma they went through in childhood, specifically uh, childhood violence. Um, we know about Bond losing his parents and, and a lot of his childhood we learned about in Skyfall. Uh, we get to actually see Madeline's childhood trauma right at the beginning of being... Uh, watching her mom die and being uh, uh, chased by Safin. Uh, Safin's motivation is his family being killed <laughs> by Blofeld. Blofeld uh, has childhood issues because he felt pushed out of the nest <laughs> mm-hmm. by his father kind of adopting Bond as a childhood. So they all have childhood issues, and all this huge global violence is happening because this set of main characters have issues that they are unable uh, to let go of. And I feel like this is really great because it, it's what, for me, cushions the the blow of Bond's death is because it sets the table for that's the challenge for these characters in this film and for Bond in particular of can you let go? Can you break the cycle? Can you find a way to move on? Mm-hmm. And I feel like at the end there is a lot of it's sad. It, it's, I'm not saying it's his first choice, but there's a lot of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And letting go. So uh, that's how I saw that theme at work. Did this idea of moving on, evolving, trying to let go, did that, did you see it in the film? Did it resonate with you? What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, that opening, that opening scene, like you talked about, really sets it up well. And just that idea of letting go. (laughs) And sometimes it backfires on you. Literally, like <laughs> when he goes to see Vesper's grave, and and then there's a bomb. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, and which I say laughingly, but I actually like that because I, I like that it shows that it is a journey, and um, for Bond, but for you know all of the characters you've just listed, they are going on this journey, and they're they're trying, but it's not a perfect journey. It's not a one step journey, where you're just like, oh yeah, I should let go of that. 
hit there, gone. <laughs> what was I thinking? Like, it's a process and there's forward movement, and backwards movement and other people come in and get in the way um, or your childhood trauma comes back and gets in your face um, and messes things up for you again. Um, yeah, so I absolutely feel like that is is a good part of it. And I think it's a really interesting um, way to think about the movie overall of just um, kind of how these different characters are are processing what they're bringing onto others, what they're taking to into themselves mm-hmm. and kind of what people are internalizing versus externalizing. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the, the heroes, Madeline is, is, you know, spot on at trying to move on. And, and we, as we learn later in the film, she's being totally honest with bond of like, I have, I do have something more to tell you. You get clear of this Vesper thing. So I can trust you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let go of that baggage a little bit and, and tell me all about her. And then I'll tell you about all my stuff. So she's really trying to move forward. And mm-hmm. she does she does find ways to move forward. Uh, Bond has that back step uh, after <laughs> the bomb goes off. And, you know, his trauma is reawakened a little bit. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> trust Madeline. Manipulation by Blofeld, we learn. Uh, but then he ultimately comes back and says, you know, I don't regret a minute with you except for putting you on that train and having that lost time. Super bittersweet. But that's an acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah. And moving forward instead of just putting the armor back on. And going, I'll work with you, but I don't trust you. Like, it was really a moving forward. So we get to see the heroes move forward. And uh, in contrast, Blofeld and Safin, uh, just their idea of change is them having more control. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that the bad thing that happened to them once can never happen again because they control everything. Mm-hmm. And it, there's this very big difference to me between uh, uh, letting go means opening yourself up. It means taking a risk. Versus controlling everything. Literally, uh, Safin's plot, literally, I have a switch and I can decide any person in the world based on their DNA to die. (laughs) I have, nobody can ever hurt me again because I literally have control over life and death globally. To Mm. talk about an over-the-top plot with some (laughs) (laughs) deep ideas uh, that, that, so that's powerful to me. Yeah, yeah, I think I walked away from the film feeling like I want to emulate <laughs> uh not any over the top scary violence uh, or uh, lost time in relationships but i want to try to think about that how do you how do you let go and free yourself from things that are hurting you and move on mm-hmm. um how did you feel about this reveal that madeline's uh alleged secret which is kind of built up bond's afraid that she has some secret which is only increased by the uh the bomb going off and uh, and then Blofeld talks him up of like you. She knows this secret that's gonna blow your mind. It's gonna destroy everything. It's you know like. And then we come to find out when she does tell him, it's just that she was gonna tell him her her trauma, right? Mm-hmm. That I didn't tell you about this guy who came to my house as a child. Uh, she mentioned it offhand, Inspector, but she didn't give him the details. Uh, and the whole the whole history of of Safin and his story is is what she hadn't told him yet. How did yeah. you feel about that reveal? Um, I mean, I felt like it, it was, I feel like it was a great manip- manipulation uh, by Blofeld because he tried to make it be more of a reveal. That it, not not to undercut it, but um, he tried to paint it as a very sinister thing. Yeah. That was being kept from Bond. And uh, there was no time inspector. Uh, neither of them knew each other. <laughs> neither of them had reason to trust each other. Uh, you know, she was still, you know, the daughter of Mr. White. Yeah. <laughs> um, who Bond had his own understandable issues with. And so um so I thought it was I thought it was a really um well played manipulation by uh by Blofeld. Um and I feel like 
the reveal itself, um, you know, was was more a sharing of the horrible trauma she had gone through and less a cha-cha, I'm a slightly different person than you thought I was. You know, there's no like tearing off of the mask. Yeah. I, that I felt. Yeah, I think I I uh, felt uh, from the one trailer I watched when this movie was going to come out a year and a half ago, more, um, that it, the trailer was all about, you know, everybody has their secrets and Blofeld saying, you, she is holding so many secrets and all that kind of thing. So I, I, I really had this buildup from the trailer, then from the film about, ooh, what's the big reveal going to be? And even though I understood it was a motivation or, or a manipulation, I was really thrilled to just be, it was just, I hadn't got around to telling you the thing that is the hardest for me to let go. The thing I need to write down on a piece of paper and burn up of what I went through and the fear it gives me. Uh, and I, the film isn't explicit about it. Uh, but I also like the idea that they're kind of making this pact to try to walk away from the endless violence. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the end of Spectre. Um, at the end of the film, uh, Madeline is saying, anybody who could come after us is gone now. So it's explicit then. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the reason it might have been difficult for Madeline to tell him early in their relationship is because Bond was getting to this place where he was going to let go. And I think if she had told him, by the way, there's this creepy guy <laughs> uh, who let me go on as a kid, but he might be obsessed with me and he might be lurking over our shoulder at some point. Bond wouldn't have been like, great. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to Cancun. He would have said, I'm armoring back up and I'm going to find that guy and kill him. Yeah. He would have said, I'll be back. Right. He <laughs> would be gone. So like <laughs> how much is that why it was hard for her to tell him mm-hmm. this truth of her trauma? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I thought it was uh, elegant and had some some nice layers to it. Um, uh, do you want to write difficult things down and burn them? Oh, I would love it. <laughs> Did I you mean, find I that cathartic? That, like, totally. Are you kidding? And I also, uh, me being me, was just like, wow. And they just, they have these, you know, bonfires, but they just also just let them go off their balconies because it's this amazing place that's entirely built of stone. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas my thought would be like, where's the fire safe container that we could do this in and just have our own little, I mean, I guess we don't have a fireplace. So that's why this is. You come to uh, Bond movies from this great place of you have worked in a couple of beautiful mansions. The one you currently work in uh, could be in a James Bond film. So to watch films where Bond goes to exotic places and causes explosions when you work in a beautiful place, (laughs) it means that you're always watching Bond with a sense of, of fire safety. there's a little bit of that and I think there's something about that idea of like writing something down and burning it up that has has always captivated me for longer than I've had jobs yeah like since I since I was probably a teenager just that idea of like writing something down and then burning it but it was not you know plastic waste bins and things like that it just didn't feel like a thing that was actually something a person could do and so to see this very romanticized version of it of everybody just letting it go off into the air and therefore off into the ether was just this romanticized ideal of something that i have thought about for a long time <laughs> yeah so it i absolutely I agree with you about um my current perspective but it also does it transcends that because it's just been like what there's a place 
in a movie where you can go do that, let's go. <laughs> let's go to the place where it's safe to burn things. Yeah, yeah we're going like... to go be in a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, and I did just love after multiple films of people encouraging Bond to forgive Vesper uh, that w- that we got to see that he wrote down, forgive me. Uh, yeah. just That was great. And it keyed us into where he is at, yep. that he's at a place where he is trying to move on. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Um, so another big idea, and these are all kind of tied together, but I wanted to separate them out a little bit. Uh, there's this also this large idea in the film to me about legacy. Uh, first, we have the fact that we already talked about that a ton of the film is motivated uh, by the legacy of uh, violent parents and violent childhoods. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's important that we actually see that beginning with Madeline as a child and this violence that her father has brought into her world. Mm-hmm. So there's already this connection between like, uh, about legacy of how are children impacted by the choices of their parents. Uh, then, of course, a uh, huge spoiler, right? <laughs> that Bond and Madeline have a, a child, which is literal uh, DNA legacy. Um, Leiter mentions his family uh, at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very sad. Since also spoiler, Leiter does not make it. Um, but again, there's that sense of like connection and, and, and legacy. Um, there's a debate about the legacy of James Bond's number. Yeah. About, about 007, is that a thing? Does it have any meaning? Is it a thing to be passed on? Does it really matter? You know, And if it does matter and it does have meaning, is it because of what Bond did? And what is that legacy? What does that number mean then? Mm-hmm. Um, there's the CIA agent who ends up being a traitor, Logan Ash, is a fanboy of Bond, which I see as a kind of, a kind of legacy because it's making him, making Bond this legendary figure mm-hmm. that the young guy arguably in better shape is looking up to the old guy who really, you know, set the bar for how you do this espionage game. Uh, we see M at one point sitting in a hall full of uh, portraits of past MI6 leaders, yeah. uh, which is a fun just nod, uh, but is also reminding you that, you know, that isn't just the one and only M. There's a legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film ends with Bond's story, his legacy, literally being told to his daughter. It really taken on this sort of mythic storytelling. Uh, the end of the film is uh, the idea of James Bond will return. This James Bond won't return, mm-hmm. but the idea of James Bond is being passed on to his daughter. Mm-hmm. So much legacy. So how did that idea of, of legacy land with you? What, if anything, did you get out of it? What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I love, um, just to, to start with one specific, I love that they started the conversation about the number. Yeah. Within the film, that he's been gone for a while. They didn't really know if he was alive or not. And uh, one would assume this is what's happened with other double O's that have um, been killed on assignment or retired or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, that Their numbers have been reassigned, one would assume. Um, based on this, but just that, like, oh, your number, did you, you know, kind of that, that kind of um, moment for Bond to check himself of, is that, is that okay? He says it's okay, but is it actually okay? Did he think it would be retired? How does everybody else feel about it? Or are they just so used to it? Because this is what we do. We have a new M, which we're all very used to. Um, And I love that they, you know, because it is, there's that between the the other pre-Daniel Craig films and these films, you know, kind of that legacy, obviously we've seen the Judy Dench M, but even the, you know, previous M as well of having some continuity between the films and also some, this is a totally different story. And I like that 
there's no need for it to be entirely clear. And yeah. I like that. I like that um, a little bit of uh, not a need for distinction within the, within the film. Anyway, yeah. going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, no, I think uh, it's a great tangent. <laughs> I think it's a great point. And what makes this Daniel Craig era different is there's it's just real loosey goosey uh, from Dr. No, uh, arguably to die another day, however you want to divide it of yeah there's kind of continuity like especially uh dr no through license to kill through timothy dalton Mm -hmm. there's still the like you can imagine it's the same guy if you want kind of whatever and daniel craig era is like nope this is a reboot yeah except not quite because i'm still the same i'm still there so a little bit of ambiguity Yeah. yeah so which which i love i love that it doesn't need to be um a hard clear line yeah yeah um it's you know Spies, I assume, operate in a lot of gray. So it's only <laughs> and so does their their canon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that's just to start with one one aspect of the legacy. But I absolutely loved that they brought it into this film and already had it be part of the conversation, especially with where the film was going. Mm-hmm. That you've already started this conversation of what happens about the number. Yeah, and it goes to all of these these ideas of. Um, the Daniel Craig Bond, uh, he he starts his adventure and then it is immediately questioned in Skyfall if he's uh, if he's old, <laughs> if his time is wrapping up. And I like that they lean into that a little bit. Uh, new 007's line of like, I'll shoot you in the knee, the good one. Uh, but there's all, it also kind of touches on his ego of like, did you think you were so the best to ever do this job that they'd retire your number? Mm-hmm. And make it something legendary. Do you think you're you're worthy of being legendary? Mm-hmm. You know, and I like that Bond's response is to just kind of ignore that question until he just calls her 007 as this sign of respect. Yeah. You know, and yep. if it means anything to him, then he thinks this person lives up to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, I love that because he does. He has his integrity of what he wants. Uh, a double O. A double O anything, but especially a double O seven coming after him to live up to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that would be just kind of a fun through line, but it's also tied in with kind of his motivation of coming back, which is that feeling that M has made a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. There's the personal thing of Spectre's involved. That's personal to him. He doesn't, uh, it's personal to him for lots of reasons, but there's also the like, once he finds out Madeline Swan is involved at all, then it's, it, it starts, it becomes more and more personal. But he starts with the like, uh, M, Mallory, M, <laughs> you screwed up and you let this pro- program, this project Heracles become something it shouldn't have, you mm-hmm. know? So there is that sort of pride in the work and oh, pride yeah. in the, hey, we, we look around and we assess what is, what is threatening the world and, and we help handle it. And like, so you, there is a little bit of clarity of what his bar is, mm-hmm. <laughs> what he expects out of, you know, other agents. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually, to me, another part um, that I would lump in with legacy and maybe, maybe you've included it somewhere else, but the idea that's come up in some of the previous films of, you know, in this modern era of, drones and computers and surveillance what is the role of an on-the-ground spy yeah and and i feel like he also with all of this and the like no heracles heracles right Mm -hmm. is you know this is power this is too much power to be created because something bad could happen yeah and just kind of showing again as he has a few times um 
the legacy, the necessary legacy and the living legacy um, of of spy spydom, <laughs> of espionage, of espionage. And I feel like remaking that case yet again um, for the continued existence of what he believes in. Yeah, and I think it, it goes to some of his his core traits and a lot of the themes developed over all the Daniel Craig uh, films, this idea of not wanting to be just bruisers going through the world, ironically blowing things up with lots of collateral damage, <laughs> um, uh, which, you know, for the fun and escape and thrill of the film, lots of things blow up. But this idea that you can see how M would have been enticed by, ooh, we could just target exactly the person that is is a threat that we believe is a threat uh and bond kind of almost making the argument back to him that that m made <laughs> inspector of you need a person on the ground uh with the license to kill and the license not to kill and i think bond can see that um intuition matters instinct matters person to person matters looking in somebody's eye matters and you forgot that legacy m Mm-hmm. you know yeah and i think it's almost it's it's not like he accepts new 007 uh because she's a great fighter i mean <laughs> that matters uh to this uh over the top espionage world but it feels more like just like a level of trust of like i trust you i trust that you know who to trust kind of thing yeah 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 uh how would you feel if you met a super fan of your work like logan ash and you did not like them <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, it in some ways, it's so fitting for something like Bond, right? Because if you're going to be a super fan of somebody like Bond, I mean, you'd hope you wouldn't be a, a traitor. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, for myself, if it were, <laughs> if I were James Bond, um, uh, I mean, it, it would be a real bummer to have somebody um, be a be a traitor. And, yeah. and or just even at the beginning, before they know he's a traitor, there's something just like, eh. I mean, and I know he's he's purposely playing it that way of, you know, too, too gregarious, too quick to agree to things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it would be a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was. Think? Yeah. I thought it was a great way to. Ha- it was a funny beat. It was clearly somewhat true because when Bond manages to flip his car over. Uh, the last thing he says pretty much before he dies is, oh, that was a nice move. Like, even when even when Bond is about to murder him, and he probably knows that, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, he's still sort of complimenting him. So I take that as some level of truth. I, I don't, there's this great generational tension to me there. Because mm-hmm. there's, you know, Bond is sort of like no nonsense, um, as Camila says in uh, uh, Quantum of Solace. There's something horribly efficient about you. Uh, you know, he's just... He's no nonsense. Uh, get it done. And there's just a generational thing of like a super fan is not. <laughs> that's not a that's not a thing that, you know, is in sort of, I think, Bond's emotional vocabulary. Of like, yeah. it's just weird. Just yeah. weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's what's a great tension about it is because it's almost like uh, to talk about modern uh, social media. When you're talking about James Bond, it's almost a parasocial relationship. Right. Because when somebody comes up to you and says. Oh, I, I really like you. I want you to like me in the creepy way that Logan Ash does. I'd love to work with you, sir. <laughs> it's almost this like Bond doesn't know him, but your instinct as a person is to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. But they know you in a way that you don't know them. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was a great funny way to be creepy and make Bond uncomfortable and roll his eyes. 
Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. The, the addition of it in the movie. It also frames him. It, it's also a little bit passive aggressive, right? Because it frames him as like, ah, the retired Hall of Famer. I've looked up to you since I was 12 because you're so old. Right. <laughs> There's just a little bit of passive aggressive in it, too. Oh, totally. <laughs> Uh, moving on from passive aggressive, uh, another big idea that I wanted to talk about is, um, identity. Um, so there's all these ideas of, uh, of identity that really, really started in Casino Royale. For me, that's like the main idea of Casino Royale of, you know, can you ever truly know who someone is? Um, M has a couple lines about, you know, I need to know that you're you or uh, Vesper sent you White's contact information at the end because she has new you are you and everything with the tell of can you always does everyone have a tell Vesper asks you know there's so much of that's just about identity can you ever truly know who someone is mm-hmm. um so I feel like that has been all through the Daniel Craig era but then is really on the surface in no time to die since you know the villain's plot is literally DNA based right of being able to scientifically target people based on exactly who they are um Safin makes the argument that he and Bond are the same because they have the same motivations. And that little face-to-face sit-down, he kind of lists, <laughs> you know, you uh, uh, you, you uh, are in love with Madeline Swan. I'm in love with Madeline Swan. You have a vengeance against Blofeld. I have a vengeance against Blofeld. We're basically the same. Mm-hmm. And Bond kind of counters with his theme statement of like, no, my, my, I exist in, to stop people like you who... That's the other thing. He's like, we both want to target exactly who the problem is. <laughs> and Bond's like, no, you're the problem. I only want to target you. I don't want to target random people in the world based on their DNA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to look you in the eye and stop you because of uh, what you're doing. So it's a real uh, uh, conversation about um, uh, about identity to me because it's what makes you who you are. Is it your motivations? Because they, they literally do. Seven's right. They have some similar motivations but they have utterly different perspectives in those motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, how did you feel about that idea of identity in general, not just in this film really, but in Casino Royale and all of it, this this kind of question of, can you ever know who you really are? Can you ever really know who somebody else is? And all that distrust that seeps in with those questions. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the great themes of the whole Daniel Craig arc is that idea of identity for himself, um, for the people around him. I mean, you've hit on a, on a lot of it already, so I don't need to just regurgitate what you've just said. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, I feel like it's um, just a really important theme to to the entire um, five-story arc, um, both about yourself um, and identity for, for Bond, um, but also, yeah, for the identity of the people around you, who can you trust? And and what are the things that make people question their own identity? Like what what are the um, what are those moments that would maybe make them change who they are at their core or reveal who they actually are at their core? I think is a better way of yeah. putting that. Of like what are what are people's breaking points or what how far do you push them? You know, especially there's such great layers to that with um um i think it's at the beginning of quantum of solace but i might be wrong with the whole thing with like we've got people everywhere oh yeah that's the beginning of quantum solace yeah, yeah and you've got like m's bodyguard who's been her bodyguard for a long time and like that that idea that you don't know who people are um is is really great yeah 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 and and i think the the bond between m 
and uh, uh, Judy Dench M. Uh, and Bond really becomes a growing of truly, truly seeing each other and truly knowing exactly who one another is and that that's where trust comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I really like that idea in general throughout uh, Daniel Craig's era, but it becomes so key here with that, with the DNA and with, you know, literally oh, having yeah. a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how do you feel about this idea of a poison that can specifically kill one person? How do you feel like about that just as a, uh, talking about the elements of this movie that are heightened over the top spy fantasy. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about that idea? Um, I mean, I I think it's a fascinating idea. I mean, it's it's various ideas of DNA targeted um, viruses or other things. You know, have certainly come up um, in other stories. Yeah, and I feel like it, it's what a what a great thing for the Bond films are often. Uh, you know, kind of have their finger on the pulse of what's going on either in, you know, um, the world or, <laughs> or um, hopefully, hopefully not there, <laughs> but, um, but also with other uh, stories that are going on. And I feel like it, it, what a perfect over the top, because so much of this is honestly not as over the top as some Bond films, but that absolutely to me hits the mark as a, realistic within the world that they've built over the top um act that the villain wants to do yeah um both the individual targeting like when they do originally try to target bond but then also the adjustments to try to target multiple people and also just gotta say really good thing that this didn't come out in april of 2020 given um the world and what we knew and didn't know at that time not saying anything is man-made no, right, yeah, yeah, right, right, Just right. Putting that very clearly. <laughs> yes, but there's literal lines in here of them realizing, like, well, if it's targeted to like a large group of people's DNA, then it's like a virus. It's just going to spread. Like to literally say that. And yeah. you know, I posted on social media, beloved theater ArcLight, uh, currently closed. Some slimmer, uh, slim glimmer of hope that the uh, Hollywood location with the Cinerama Dome might reopen. But I, I bought tickets for April 9th and I still have my printed out tickets mm-hmm. <laughs> for April 9th. And yeah, if it had been just a little bit later, uh, you know, that everything closed down. Yeah, I am really glad that this movie, that they held it back. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... agree with you because I think it would have been weird yeah. and I think it would have been even, yeah, it would have been upsetting Uh for lots of reasons. Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, the scene that made me think that the most was when there's the map and you can just see the virus spreading. <laughs> yes. Which... Yes, the projection of how quickly it could spread. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like it as an uh, as a over-the-top idea. I like it as high stakes. Mm-hmm. Because in the movies and in the books, which I'm going to compliment myself for, I think this is the first time I said in the books, mm-hmm. Um the the stakes are always high personally for bond uh and because he wants to win <laughs> even in the lightest james bond film he just he he doesn't like his ego being challenged and he wants to come out on top and stop the bad guy uh so the the stakes for bond are always high but the stakes for the world really vary from moonraker the, the entire world is going to be destroyed the spy who loved me the entire world is going to be destroyed uh, casino royale he they put a dent in Funded some terrorists, and which is great, absolutely great. Uh, but I kind of liked for Daniel Craig's big finale that this was world-altering, and yeah. that Bond himself phrased it that way. 
mm-hmm. when M is saying like, hey, if the British launch, that's going to cause a world event and, you know, and Bond is arguing, it will not be the same world unless if this technology exists. So I really like kind of raising those stakes yeah. uh, for Bond in general. And then for the idea, I mean, it's just for me, it, it, the idea of Bond across books movies even the most fun escapist movies sort of love and romance and death and terror are intertwined so to have this thing that can so brutally intertwine love and death and make it so your touch will kill the people you love it's horribly upsetting it's horribly effective but then also for me it's just kind of like a bond fan it is kind of the most james bond thing i've ever heard absolutely my touch is death to those I love. Like that could have been a lyric in an early Bond you know, song as a metaphor. So to have it just be literally the plot, the painful, painful plot, it's really, really effective. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I like that it, it dealt with like truly like identity and intimacy. Yeah. You know, is a way to make the threat really intimate and personal. Yeah, absolutely. And I love also that it does, you know, it, it does add that like how, do going back to the theme of identity do you know people because it's if people share the dna with whatever you've touched that then you can also you know yes for bond not being able to touch people he loves but that idea that different people that you might not know share certain elements of dna with somebody else you can accidentally kill yeah uh so you truly don't know people's identity yeah yeah, you, yeah, never knowing who you can touch. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely uh horrifying but but really really powerful. Yeah. Um in terms of this idea of identity, you know, by the end of this story, um what do you think makes James Bond uh James Bond? Wow. That's a great question. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I think um I think this level of integrity and and to a certain extent this this self knowledge even when it includes some gaps. <laughs> um but kind of which things he's gonna fight for, which things he's gonna fight against. It's as much as he gets um jabbed throughout Daniel Craig and pre Daniel Craig for just like blind faith to country he does not shy away from giving his opinion to M or whoever else. And when they say, you know, this is not your case, you're just being, you know, um, seeking revenge. He's also still willing to do what he needs and wants to do um, to follow kind of his own code of ethics and to be true to his own identity. Yeah. So I feel like you've really hit it on the head with that. I really, well, you said it. Well, you, you brought up identity. <laughs> oh, okay. I, which I'm really going to agree with because a lot of times he does get um, uh, uh, harassed by the villains uh, that calling him a hired gun, mm-hmm. right? And that's a little bit of the tension of, of Skyfall. It's uh, Silva's whole plan and issue of M doesn't care about this. This isn't about emotions. We're just... She just points and we shoot and she doesn't care what happens to us. But there's still that criticism in it of we're, you're just hired guns. Lots of people just saying like, oh, I'm supposed to listen to you the, take the word of a, you know, assassin. Uh, a lot of people try to 
you know, criticize him for that. And yeah. I think it's, you know, it is this darkness that he wrestles with in the grittier bond. Uh, you know, there's that moment in living daylights where, uh, the other agent tells Timothy Dalton, James Bond, that he's going to be fired. And he and like, yeah, I consider it a blessing. <laughs> you know, there's that darker side of Bond who's like, I'm really wrestling with the reality of this is a horrible job. And, yeah. it, and I what I really like about this assessment of Bond and this picture of Bond in this film is he's not a hired gun. This is his choice, not only to save the people that he loves, but literally to say this is not the world the way the world should be this is my choice mm-hmm. that this is wrong and it should be stopped and i'm willing to you know to give everything to stop it yeah yeah i think um th- there's a a couple of elements of his identity that i think really get explored in the era and i think really brought to the surface in no time to die i just i love this idea of a sort of in indomitable spirit um it, it is you know some amount of fantasy um but starting from casino royale where it's it feels like tied to ego tied to wanting to prove himself but no one's gonna escape me if, if you can do parkour i'll smash through the wall there's nowhere you can run <laughs> that i will not follow i'll find a way period that's always been there in his action mm-hmm. you know and then i really feel like it's a main idea of skyfall that m lets him back on the job when he is allegedly according to the test physically not up to it mentally not up to it because she trusts who he is which is this spirit to keep going she has that uh that poem that she reads in the uh committee meeting talking about sort of this uh, i don't have it memorized this tennyson poem about you know what what makes uh the british spirit is this indomitable indomitable uh desire to persevere Mm -hmm. and that is you know so bond especially when he's getting older <laughs> we're told in one of this films uh, in this film that allegedly one of his knees doesn't work as well but he's he just keeps going he just keeps going right um uh i like that he is focused in this film about really deciding who and what he cares about mm-hmm. why is he willing to come back you know yeah. and and to show this um growth that he is able to change but then there are some things that don't change because they are essential to to who he is. This uh, drive to once I've decided something is right, once I've decided I'm going to try to stop something or I'm going to do something, there's just kind of I will find a way forward no matter what. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, through physical pressure, if it's through uh, just uh, endurance, if it's through being clever, if it's through making a sacrifice, whatever it is, I just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was uh, really powerful. And then I really wanted to, to be sure to touch on that uh, that quote that M reads at the wake, the, the mm-hmm. informal wake that they have uh, for Bond. Um, it's a Jack London quote. Um, Elements of this film are pulled from the novel, You Only Live Twice. Uh, Blofeld has an island where he is developing poison and Bond makes a kind of a, a desperate run to the island to destroy that. And this... Uh, Jack London quote is used in that novel as well. Um, there's no point. Oh, no, that's that's a note no, I made. Here we go. Here's the quote. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. In the context of who Bond is, what this film is about, what does that mean to you? Hmm. Um. I mean, I think it really encapsulates this story and it encapsulates... Um, 
you know, kind of we go seeing him everywhere from trying to have retired, being out on the beach, you know, kind of trying to just live life. Yeah. Um, to even when um, um, Lighter asks him to come back, he isn't going to at first. Yeah. You know, and kind of that choosing, choosing how he's going to live, choosing when he's going to maybe be existing, but the existence that he chooses. Um, but what's, can you read the very last line of that? Uh, the, uh, I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Yeah. But I think that idea of I shall use my time really comes back, um, really comes in at the end with this is, this is everything he has fought for. He's always been, like you said earlier on that line with death. And he's also found what he wants for, for actually living, which is being with Madeline and Mathilde and he can't. Um, so even without, you know, the, the, the DNA stuff getting on him, who knows if he would have actually made it off the Island anyway, but with this, he can't have the existence that he wants. Right. So I think it, it, it truly is a, you know, him, it, it encapsulates him. He encapsulates that encapsulates that. Bond comes after Jack London. But um, yeah, I think I feel like it's just a beautiful um, tie in and theme statement. Yeah, I think I love everything you said. I think it's really insightful. Um, I think there's so much in the story of Bond. Uh, I'll give myself one more and then I'll stop it in the books. (laughs) (laughs) It's so well established that uh, he's a fussy eater and drinker uh, because that's just kind of what a proper gentleman was to Ian Fleming. Uh, But it's also because he is going to enjoy the best things because he might be dead tomorrow and he knows that's the life he's living. Um, it's, it's heightened and and, uh, over the top, but in the world is not enough. The, you know, there's no point in living if you can't feel alive, uh, mm-hmm. phrase that gets quoted back to him. Uh, it, I, I think that's really important to this idea of who bond is of, of, I want to enjoy life to the fullest because I know it's short. I know my the career I've chosen means it's short. Mm-hmm. So that that part it echoes this part of Bond that's always been there, but then it takes on this added depth when he's going through what he does in this this film of figuring out what he truly wants to to be alive. Um, and I love that there is definitely some wiggle room in how you want to interpret his death, right? You've got the just traditional hero moment of somebody has got to stay behind and open the doors. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, then he does get shot <laughs> by Safin. So he's not doing well, but at that point in the heightened world of James Bond, I think it's structured well to make you feel like you're still like, yeah, he's been shot twice, but look, there's water. You can dive, swim away. You'll be fine. <laughs> in the language of action movies, you're fine, dude. Go right. Mm-hmm. But, what makes it this moment is the bitter sweet uh, i'll go with bittersweet i'll defend myself tragedy of safin hitting him with a poison that means he can't touch madeline or matilde mm-hmm. right um and that's where it really gets into that like that that end point of like i shall not waste my days in in trying to prolong them i shall use my time you know he used his time he made a difference he connects with Madeline and Matilde and speaks to them. And to me, there's just also this le- sense of legacy, this sense from the very beginning of B 
being able to move on. And this is what is powerful to me about this opportunity of telling a story where a guy who is always facing death actually faces his death. Mm-hmm. He has this moment to face his death. And to me, the reason I can have even a little sweet <laughs> in the word bittersweet is that him, he accepts his death. It's sad. I'm sure he'd like another choice, but there is this, but I truly burned the paper and I moved on. Yeah. I love Madeline. I know she loves me. We utterly connected. There is legacy. I have a daughter, you know, and she is going to live on. And maybe I've broken the cycle. Maybe there's nobody else left who has a vendetta against me who's going to be chasing her. Maybe I've created a world in which she can go and use her time. So, you know, I don't need to gnash my teeth and prolong my days. I can burn that paper and accept and move on and evolve and mm-hmm. look at this legacy and be at peace of this legacy that will continue when I'm gone. Yeah. Um, That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I know sometimes I tend toward wanting to find the optimistic in things. So I totally understand people seeing this film and uh, if they're invested being ripped up and, and I don't mean to be at all, um, uh, I don't mean to downplay. It's really, really sad. It's really affecting. It's really brutal. The idea of being poisoned so you can't touch the people you love. But I feel like the film does so much great work, starting with that scene about writing down what's upsetting, burn it and let it go. It does so much to make it a, the story be about accepting that nothing lasts forever, move on and and hope that you have made a difference and hope that even if you don't continue, the idea of you continues. Mm-hmm. And the fact the film ends literally on that of Madeline telling her daughter, you know, the story of Bond, James Bond. I even feel like it's there in the filmmaking when he gets the to the top, you know, he's at, he's literally at the height, right? He's up in the air and free. He's not in some dank, dark alley bleeding out. He's standing tall there's a hero shot at the angle that he looks like a statue mm-hmm. it is so taking bond who can sometimes just be down dirty gritty brutal and really mythologizing him really making him a character but also like an idea yeah yeah absolutely uh sorry get very excited about no uh, it's about great these, it, uh these ideas no it's this is this is great uh here's the last uh kind of theme that I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about uh, the blue eyes of James Bond. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, just as an actor, as a human being, Daniel Gregg has intense blue eyes. Yeah. Uh, but they've made such a thing of it throughout his run, and I love it, right? Um, <laughs> in the opening credits of Casino Royale, the, it ends on his eyes, right? The strips come in, and the last thing is his eyes, and it shuts out, right? Mm-hmm. Um there's a part of Casino Royale where he demands that Vesper look in his eyes to see the truth that he can beat the Shifra. Um, the very first shot of Skyfall is it's very similar to the Casino Royale credits where it's all darkness except his eyes, you know, those glowing eyes as he's coming down the hallway. Um, and then uh, Inspector, when Blofeld is trying to show Madeline Swan the video of her father dying mm-hmm. to torture her. Bond yells, you know, look at me, look at me, don't look at that. He doesn't explicitly say his eyes, but it's his eyes. Mm -hmm. And these eyes that have been this sort of like symbol of his identity of like, what's in those eyes? Is he cold and remorseless? 
how much of a, a soul is there. Then Inspector, it becomes that moment of like, Blofeld's trying to destroy his humanity. He's trying to break him. Uh, and he's saying like, my eyes can be a refuge. They can be a source of empathy. Look at my eyes instead of looking at the horror. So they, they've been just so centralized, I think, in these films. So I loved that it was, that was the defining factor with his daughter. Yeah. Right? Uh, so it, it makes for the really fun joke of when Madeline is saying, she's not yours. And he says, but the eyes <laughs> <laughs> uh, is a fun joke. And I just, I really love that that is this kind of, that final moment of peace, right? Because he and Madeline have this conversation and she says, Tilda is yours. You know, she has your eyes. And I, I believe his last words are, I know, mm-hmm. I know. And it's such a moment of of acceptance and peace and, and joy in her, joy in Matilde, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's all about the eyes. So it's all about identity and this specific visual thing that I think got built up in these films because of just what a great actor Daniel Craig is and the, just the random twist of DNA that his eyes are shockingly blue. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, it, but the, the difficulty of trying to write that scene for bond and find it a way for it to be, to have a, an, an amount of acceptance and peace and turning the page to the next chapter. It's really elegant that they did it with his eyes. Mm hmm. So my question for you is, are you tired of hearing me talk about James Bond's eyes? Because I've been on about this at home, too. Not just on a podcast, just kind of day to day. I talk about James Bond's eyes. It, you know, don't we all? <laughs> they're pretty good. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. They're, they're uh, amazing eyes. And they are used exceptionally well, I think, throughout the films um, in scenes you've just listed. Uh, so my answer is uh, no, I'm not tired of you talking about James Bond's blue eyes. Okay. Yet. Well, I'll talk about them some more then. Yeah. We'll <laughs> find out where the breaking point is. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I lied when I said it's the last thing. I do have one other <laughs> uh, kind of thematic idea I want to ask you about. I think since there was a lot in this film that was about um, evolution, uh, letting go, evolving, do you think the film itself ultimately did that in terms of James Bond storytelling? We've been talking about like what it mm. means for the characters, but just... For this as, you know, this long movie, uh, a franchise, yeah. 25th film, did the storytelling of James Bond films evolve in this movie? Oh, totally. To me, to, to me, um, by two things, both with the, the kind of the five movie arc of the Daniel Craig era and also with this movie. Um, both with the choice to have him die at the end, but also with some of the other things within the movie, I feel like, um, you know, including a lot of these themes and ideas that we've been talking about um, and taking. Uh, anyway, I feel like, yes, absolutely. It it changed the storytelling and opens the door for both similar and new versions of storytelling in the future. You yeah, because we've taken the, you know, like I was thinking about when you were having your wonderful thoughts that you were sharing about um, Daniel Craig's James Bond, you know, kind of the legacy moment at the end and all of <laughs> and all of those wonderful things that you said <laughs> that I'm not going to just repeat right now. But this idea that um, 
that there's a lot of big action, like everything is to the fullest. I think I was thinking about it because you're talking about the the food, which come, has come up before um, in general. And, and with the books, I can say it, having never read the books. <laughs> yeah, I've reached my limit. I can't say it again. Yep, yep. So now I can say it. But that idea of like constantly everything is to 100%, whether it's eating or whether it's fighting, like everything is always extreme. Yeah. And so to finally also find a reason for for extreme or preferably non-extreme action is kind of like, but it, it's like a continuation of that. So I feel like there's both big doors that have been opened and small doors that have been opened. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love what you're saying there. Yeah, about the the character uh, changing, right? Mm-hmm. Like bon- James Bond truly changed. Like we've yeah. got to see that in some of these Daniel Craig films because they have been more films uh, in the modern mold where not a steadfast character having an adventure, but a, a, a character who needs to change, who needs to kind of learn something a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's been there throughout the Daniel Craig era. I think that this film felt like an evolution in in a lot of ways for me. I think one of them just being that um, it's an evolution to let a story end, right? This is mm-hmm. a franchise that is famous for ending on. James Bond will return. This one still did, and we'll we'll talk about that as well. But this opportunity to have a story have an ending. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people are craving. Um, I think it's, I've, I've heard some really, I've read some really great thoughts and discussions on the power of Endgame being this moment where that chapter of the MCU ended. There was no, you know, mm-hmm. teaser for the next time. Um, I love franchise storytelling, but as much as we are, is our culture is invested in franchise storytelling. That means that we're going to have a lack of endings. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was powerful to be able to just have a, like this bond. That's his end. Yeah. Another James Bond will return, you know, um, another big evolution for me. Um, I feel like the film was, uh, uh, really playing with, um, the audience's, knowledge it i think it worked if you didn't have any knowledge but it was absolutely playing with the audience's knowledge of on her majesty's secret service yeah um and and also casino royale right uh, the mm-hmm. movie casino royale and the book ah oh, damn it i did it uh <laughs> th- those two kind of major events in bond's life are moments where he is motivated and defined by a woman dying mm-hmm. and they the movie reflects on that by him going to Vesper Lynn's grave and acknowledging that part of this, that that's the starting point of this bond. It acknowledges on her majesty's secret service by having bond say early in the film, we have all the time in the world. The music plays bond fans <laughs> screaming. <laughs> ah, ah, right. Because uh, on her majesty's secret service, obviously it's the one where his wife dies at the end. A sad ending. But then they come back to it. In the way it evolves for Bond to say to his partner and his daughter, you have all the time in the world. And to have a story, a compelling story that still James Bond is the main character. It's still about him. But a compelling story of James Bond where women don't have to die. That is an evolution. And I think a good one. I completely agree. You bring up this great point, and it makes me cry every time. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for making you cry. That's it's all good. Uh, yes. I'm a crier 
it's part of who I am. I accept it. Yeah. It's part of my identity. Yeah. Um, no, I think it is. It's so I hadn't really thought about it until you brought it up after we saw it. And it is so strong. Um, so powerful is, is what I mean to have it be. Sorry. It's OK. Um, that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but just to have it be that it isn't the woman that has to die. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just there, there's lots of ways to tell the story about this core character and, and to keep to to truths of a character that was made, created a long time ago uh, by Ian Fleming, by a gentleman with a very different perspective from many perspectives we have now that you can still tell stories about that character, but it, that character can absolutely evolve. The storytelling about that character can evolve is yeah, yeah really uh, powerful and important to me. And uh, just as a fun side note, I think we mentioned this on the podcast, uh, the general James Bond uh, obsessed podcast that you and I did, that we have this fun relationship with On Her Majesty's Secret Service and all the time in the world because you had heard that song. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We actually got married the day Casino Royale released. We saw it the day after we got married. Um, And when we're putting together our our, the mixtape for our wedding, uh, the mix CD for our wedding, uh, I had to tell you we, we can't put we have all the time in the world on there because i have to tell you what that song means if people know the movie on her majesty's secret service yeah it is what bond says in denial <laughs> when his wife has passed so it was it was um it was fun to reflect on the journey you and i have gone through personally in our relationship with james bond and with that song and that idea oh absolutely and and i believe that i suggested it for our first dance song <laughs> yeah, yes yes uh, that had to be uh that sounds beautiful but oh <laughs> i i just i can't i can't yep yep and just for for full picture painting if i may uh i believe it was when i was living in london you were not so this was also a conversation that we are having over Skype, because that was what we had then instead of Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just voices across the pond. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, so I do love talking about the the big ideas, because that's how I process these films. But I also want to be mm-hmm. sure to just talk about some of the, the fun moments. So uh, did you have any favorite action moments? I know we only yes. saw the film once, uh, so uh, I will bear that in mind. But what, what were some of your fun action moments? I love the scene in Cuba with um, uh, Bond and Paloma. Yeah, that the the whole everything of it, the from the setup of um, I'm blanking on the actress's name. Anna Darmus. Thank you. Um, from her, like uh, appearing to be very nervous, whether she actually is or not, to just the amazing fight scene of both of them equally <laughs> just equally matched, absolutely taking people out everywhere, helping each other out like, oh, my gosh. I loved that scene. Yeah. And I, in particular, there are a few like specific fight moments of hers. Um, there's one where she's on the ground and like kicks one person, does like a little dance move on the ground and like shoots <laughs> the other two. Oh, pure beauty. Practically uh, espionage modern dancing. Right? I mean, my gosh. Kicks oh. on the floor. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a phenomenal action scene. And uh, I do think that throughout the film, I thought a lot of the the lines had some like great spark. Um, and how much of that is Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know, and or other writers? Who knows? But uh, the character of Paloma, I really felt that the presence of uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's writing, just that great take of, uh, so 
the character of Paloma fits many Bond traditions, right? Uh, we've seen a ton of competent women who can absolutely fight, right? We've Definitely. seen a ton of like, uh, they're drop dead gorgeous, but they're also really smart and great at their job. And like uh, some of the ways that Bond has tried to be uh, better, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, better about gender, but to go in and just give her this like fun, weird character of like a little nervous, maybe a little young, but maybe not. Maybe it's the way that she puts people off or maybe just her personality is a little quirky, but just this idea that there is a fully fleshed out human being. There's somebody who can absolutely kick ass, who's beautiful, who has a sense of humor, maybe a little bit nervous, maybe not. We don't mm-hmm. quite know, but has a lot of personality. It just felt so fully fleshed out and then made the cool action scenes even more fun because they felt fresh. Right. It wasn't just, you know, another cool grimacing person who is an utter badass like i love utter badasses but we've seen a lot of them so a badass with a twist was great yeah yeah and then she she was like okay this is where i get off i was just done and (laughs) i just love that too of like oh yeah nope that's just that's 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 the border yeah she's she's done now yeah and her fun character made that question of is she gonna betray bond is she actually incompetent and then by the end of it like nope she yeah. just got personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh my gosh, yeah. I absolutely love that one. Yeah. Uh, one of the specific moments in that I like, because they're buzzing by so fast, there's so many great moments, but there's a moment where Bond grabs a drink tray, it slams the drink and throws the tray into somebody. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's height, height of James Bond right there. What are some more for you? Um... I mean, I I meant I mentioned earlier on that I do I do like a good um, opening stunt, and I did enjoy the jump off that bridge. Oh yeah, and then and then I mean, we talk a lot about how much I like history and architecture. So oh my gosh, running through those uh, the doors in the bridge, oh, um, was pretty cool. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, the Aston Martin. That great tension of Madeline wondering when he's gonna. Are you going to do anything? Is that glass gets founded? <laughs> yeah. Is that, that was great. But uh, for me, like uh, Vesper's grave exploding, I knew something was going to happen. Uh, they, they got me. I didn't expect that. Got me. There's so much in this that while there's evolution going on, there's so much that's like that to me is DNA of James Bond trying to make peace <laughs> with a person I've lost in their grave explodes. And mm-hmm. then, you know, that mocking voice talking about Madeline saying she is a daughter of Spectre. It felt so 60s Bond while also being totally Daniel Craig, totally modern. <laughs> uh, lo- I just It's a weird thing to say, but I loved Vesper's grave exploding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way that sound was mixed then, so you couldn't quite hear the same way Bond couldn't quite hear. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, that was really great. Uh, what What is well, I was going to add a, a different one, um, moving on to a weird thing to say that I really liked, but the whole um, ship exploding and with the passing of Felix Leiter, yeah. I thought was just handled really well and was a, both a great fight scene and really moving and just seemed very appropriate to their relationship and their characters. Yeah, there's a slam that, that Bond does to Logan Ash that's really satisfying. any slam he does is very satisfying yeah and uh, there's so much to talk about we didn't talk about lighter as much but yeah i love jeffrey wright is lighter and Mm -hmm. that was a gut punch that i also wasn't expecting um yeah and that have bond have to watch another person that he really cares about float down into the water drown yeah (laughs) uh really really uh uh effective and and the uh the culmination of that when he 
says Logan Ash tells Logan Ash uh, I had a brother. His mm-hmm. name was Lighter. It's like yeah, yeah, powerful stuff. Um, for fun action, uh, it's a very James Bond moment. I I like the moment. The I like the whole scene where he is going kind of on his. His last mission of uh, fighting his way through all the people on the island to get up to open the the shield doors. Um, but in particular, when the grenade drops down the staircase and he just throws it back up and like, <laughs> yeah, James Bond did that. And then a bunch more rain down. Great stuff. Uh, yeah. And it, for like one last gadget hurrah there, you know, there is so much about uh, the the bionic eye, the twisting the watch in the limited range uh emp in the eye exploding like that was just that was cool that was gadget cool yeah yeah it was yeah absolutely any other action scenes before we move on um i do, i need to give a call out also to the to the new 007 i thought she was fantastic and was um would happily have taken a little bit more with her although it was um james bond's film but i really enjoyed, thought i was happy that she got some good moments um, in particular, in that base, yeah, um, you know, of figuring out what the poison was, throwing the scientist into it, you know, some a few really good moments there too. Yeah, she, I would have taken a little bit more, but her moments were absolutely great as well. And, and one of the things I, I look forward to focusing on a little bit more the next time I get to see. The yeah, movie. yeah, definitely. Uh, let's talk some just comedy moments, moments of fun, because I thought there was a ton of like great lines or beats. Do you have any in mind? <laughs> Uh, and if not, I totally understand. Again, we saw the film once. We saw the film once. Um, again, Paloma. <laughs> Just gonna say Paloma. Yeah, the uh, the three yeah. weeks of training line in particular. The three like... weeks of training, the chugging the martini. Oh yeah, or chugging half the martini, and like Bond actually giving her a worried look. Yeah, like I I'm normally the martini chugger, but yeah, like, yeah, like have you I... have you ever had one? You're like, <laughs> you know, a slip of a person, and uh, this is your first mission, and what? Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? So I I just I loved the setup of that one, um, and I I love the humor of um, Ben Wishaw's Q. Yeah, everything about him is great. Interrupting his date night. Uh, that one of the lines I wrote down is uh, about his his cat uh, Bond saying like they come with fur now. You know, it's like <laughs> it's great, but very different Bond and Q banter. Yeah. Uh, for slightly over the top humor, I also really liked when uh, Q is prepping them for the mission. He's going through uh, that uh, arsenal of weapons, and he pulls out one drawer, and it's just like his tea service. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just really, uh, really great, really uh, perfect. Um, I, it, it's a tense conversation, but I like uh, when Bond is first kind of confronting him about, you know, what did you do? You let this project go and grow and, and get out of hand. And uh, M gets a second drink and Bond says, you're thirsty today. <laughs> like that's the, the breaking point of their conversation where M's like basically get out. Uh it's like, yeah, some great some great bond hypocrisy about drinking. Um I already mentioned this, but the, you know, Bond after meeting his daughter and Madeline saying, No, she's not yours, like, but the blue eyes. <laughs> really great, really great. Last thing is an I don't know if it was intended to be a joke, but it made both you and I laugh. Is I don't have the exact phrasing of this, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but when Q is, says, uh, I just unlocked Blofeld's eye oh, yeah. <laughs> or I just downloaded. I can't remember what it was, but it, the, it was such a James Bond line to like, I just, you know, hacked a bionic eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, absolutely great stuff. Uh, were there any other moments that you particularly enjoyed or wanted to discuss? 
Um, I am sure there are. Um, but not that I can think of right now. Okay, okay. Um, this is also in the category of bittersweet, possibly more bitter. Uh, but I did like that lighter line where he was when he was trying to convince Bond to take the mission, and lighter saying like, "I just want to go home and tell my family I saved the world again." It you know makes it bittersweet mm-hmm. uh, that lighter doesn't get home to his family, but it does paint that he has this larger life outside of it, and I like that that ends up. And Bond's like, yeah, no, that that's not a compelling argument to me. Uh, but then that's actually what ends up happening. It's Bond did save the world, and he gets to tell his family. Yeah, and it, it it's bittersweet. But I feel like that line is there because it makes you add, in that moment with Bond's like, I've been alone, just sort of drinking and fishing mm-hmm. <laughs> in Jamaica for five years. Yeah, no, I don't have anyone to come home to to brag mm-hmm. about. I'll tell the bartender, right? And then he goes on this journey and. He can do exactly that. I really like that. Um, So at the end of the movie, it still says James Bond will return. And people in our theater cheered. Um, What are your hopes for the next version of Bond? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, You know, it's it's not a thing that I have really thought about much yet. Um, Understandable. I was very happy to see it. I was one of the people in the theater cheering. Um. Because I had that moment of like, oh, are they just ending the franchise? (laughs) Huh, okay. So I was very happy to see it. You know, with because this does, it it opens a lot of doors and windows and blows some roofs off of some buildings. (laughs) Um, I, I really look forward to seeing something that both fits within a version of a James Bond mold, but also continues to expand what the storytelling can be yeah um i don't have a strong preference about whether it's another um kind of multi-piece arc versus Mm -hmm. more of a one-off i would be open to either yeah um yeah and i but i really i look for i look forward to seeing seeing something new and interesting and some parts that are different but some parts that still feel like i still want it to feel like bond yeah but i feel like there's a lot of ways to do that yeah absolutely yeah i think um i I say this about star wars often i think it's true of of many franchise genre things but like there are ingredients in james bond and you can make a good drink uh upping the portion of one ingredient (laughs) or lessening it in a different cocktail and it's still james bond it's still the same cocktail but it is a slightly different cocktail um and i think that's always been true in this franchise has always been incredibly responsive uh to the times right everything from political events that are going on to uh, moonraker happened because star wars came out right um the daniel craig film is was responding to um you know, uh, an era where people liked origin stories and liked uh, more grit and more realism. So I think it's always been responsive, but I think now we're at this next level because it used to just be like, kind of ignore the continuity. And then Daniel Craig's era has been, no, there is continuity. In fact, here's a beginning and here's the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because this, the end of this film, in my opinion, sets him up to be mythic. Sets him up to be a legend whose story can be passed down during to the generations. I like approaching the character that way of 
hey, however long an actor is Bond, hopefully, you know, for a good solid years, we retell the myth. And then we start over and tell the myth again. And I, I know for some fans, it's like, I don't want to reboot the film franchise every time. But like, hey, but if somebody's going to be Bond for 15 years, I don't mind <laughs> rebooting it every 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I'm really idea interested in this idea of if you accept it as a myth where the core stays the same, like you're saying, but it evolves to address the world that it exists in of mm-hmm. why do we tell this myth now? They really did that for, for Goldeneye, right? Uh, of how, how does James Bond make sense uh, when the Cold War is over? Right. Goldeneye is so preoccupied with that. Um, so I kind of want to see, I want to see that. I, I wouldn't mind a younger person because I don't want to get very quickly to the egg. He's a little old for this. Like I've seen that story. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would love a younger person. Um, I think a person of color would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and to still explore some of these core James Bond issues of uh, who is this person? What motivates them to have and keep this really rough and brutal job? And what does that mean to the core of this character? But what does it also mean right now? Like, what is the value of this myth now? And then, it, to me, if you have that base, so the movie makes kind of a sense in the time, the myth makes sense for the time it's created, then you have all this room to just have fun mm-hmm. with the action and the gadgets and the sort of the ephemera that makes the Bond world different and interesting. Yeah. So that's my big hope, is um, just to see something that is a very mindful reinvention for the times yeah i love that can i ask you a specific question yeah do you hope that blofeld comes back in each iteration Ooh, um eh, not necessarily no um i like i guess i wouldn't mind if it was framed entirely differently Mm -hmm. i think the idea so many legacy franchise mythic characters always end up having an arch nemesis like the doctor has the master, <laughs> you know, on and on and on. Um, so that makes some amount of sense. I kind of don't care if they introduce made up a new character who serves that function mm-hmm. of the kind of ultimate threat to bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I asked cause that's, I could see it going really well, but there's also that like, but if say we have multiple new versions of this, <laughs> maybe something different. You know, or like you said, a different version of of what the story is. Yeah, I understand change is hard and lots of fans, myself included, can sometimes be don't change that. But if you just take the basic like he has a relationship with this uh, paternal, uh, not, not paternal, paternal or maternal, this uh, uh, parental parental is the word I was looking for. He has a relationship uh, with this uh, parental figure of M mm-hmm. <laughs> that that could be reinterpreted 800 different ways. Like I'm sure people listening would be like, no, but like is M more of like an active grandfather out in the field with it? You know, like (laughs) there's ways to kind of, and I'm not even saying I would love that, but there's, there's plenty of ways to take what is, what is the relationship that matters Mm -hmm. and put it in new context. And I think it really needs that. Yeah. Cause I think if it's just a new bond and M has an office and Blofeld's the problem that, there is an, a need for larger reinvention right now. Mm-hmm. You at least got to make it smart. <laughs> just kidding. Don't mean to undercut what you just said. No, I, no. I think what you said is great and, and a very good point about yeah. making it something uh, different. Yeah. One thing that I would be intrigued by is 
massive reinterpretations of some of the uh, stories in the novels mm. because the, the screenwriters, uh, Purvis and Wade, have done a great job of taking elements uh, from books and reinterpreting them. So they're not telling the story, but they're taking this one kind of key idea, like in this movie, The Poison Island, you know? Yeah. So there, there could be some really interesting things of that. If you if you go to ideas in in books and really reinterpret them, that could be kind of a, a good merging of the old and the new. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is the first new James Bond movie should be called Moonraker 2. And I think it will do <laughs> really well in our modern times. Uh, what did this movie make you want to do when we walked out of the theater? What did you want to do? Stop crying. <laughs> it was really successfully emotionally affecting yeah i mean i I, and i just just to be you know fully upfront i i am a crier at movies as i've talked about before but i was not expecting that and was just very affected by it and uh would be fine and then we would you we would say something about the movie and i would just start crying again (laughs) um yeah so i so that that's my honest answer okay okay uh yeah, I was definitely emotionally affected, so I wanted to discuss it with you in process. I desperately wanted a martini. That was a very martini-forward Bond movie, <laughs> even though there was a, a plenty of good uh, whiskey as well. Um, but it, it was great because I also, as much as I was absolutely emotionally affected and felt the depth and was really enjoying thinking about these ideas, for me it also just really hit that sweet spot that I haven't felt in a theater, you know, haven't had the chance to feel in a theater very much of like, I want to kind of, walk down the street and imagine I'm James Bond and kind of look around the corners and kind of, you know, not do anything actually physically weird, <laughs> but in my head, play spy. Imagine I'm really efficient and cool like James Bond. It just made me feel like wanting to get into that place, uh, not only of depth, but that place of fantasy and fun, you know? Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. We were walking home, and so I wanted to walk efficiently. And, you know, hit the button to cross the street at exactly the right time. But if we were driving home, I wouldn't have uh, sped. But I would have wanted to, like, pretend our Toyo Yaris is an Aston Martin. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I love that. Yeah. So a nice thrill as well as the big ideas. Uh, what noise can you make a, make to sum up your uh, interest and or obsession with No Time to Die? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> great james bond noises absolutely love it uh on a scale of one to ten uh one being the lowest ten being the highest how obsessed are you with this movie probably around a seven <laughs> did you do that on purpose <laughs> you're a double oh seven obsessed pretty much yeah nice nice uh i think uh i feel added 10 with bond james bond in general since we just rewatched them all i got a couple books i want to read um the newer versions of of books that i haven't read um and this movie just really affected me um i I, again thought it was a great james bond movie in terms of action locations characters uh, quips gadgets action all, all sorts of great bond stuff and then this added layer of just philosophy that made me think about my own life and it was like yeah it, it was making me think about a lot of the things that i talk about in the philosophy in themes of star wars i had just watched um the uh horror 
a television show Midnight Mass and is like, uh, there are connections there. <laughs> and it just made me think and feel so much that I think I'm going to be thinking and feeling about this one for a long time. So I am solidly at a 10. Double mm-hmm. O 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll move on to the plug-in. Uh, where can you be found? I can be found on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw. Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Force Center. Info on upcoming shows, comedy albums, all kind of stuff like that. You can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, here are our final questions. Ready? I am. If you had a spy code name or code number, what would you want it to be? Mm. Storm. Storm. <laughs> I think that's a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> no one will uh, question that when you hear a, a, <laughs> a little uh, earbud saying, Storm, Storm, go over there, <laughs> do over that, Storm. If you went off the grid for five years, where would you want to live? Off the grid. Ooh. I mean, that, that island where Bond was was pretty appealing. He he had a nice place there. Yeah, yeah. Because you want a place where, like, food can grow. You can get your needs met. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and that place was pretty amazing. Yeah. So I would like that place, please. Yeah, I want to live in James Bond's off-the-grid ah. house. Yep. Pretty much exactly. <laughs> Final question is always on the podcast is, what is happiness? Happiness is knowing who you are. And knowing you can trust the people around you. That is a perfect answer. Thank you so much uh, for talking with me about No Time to Die. And thank you for listening. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Okay, so if you were going to have a massive organization like Spectre <laughs> that you were in charge of. Yeah. What symbol would you have on the rings that everybody wears? Okay, see, this is one of the -the over-the-top things I love, right? (laughs) Because I love that Spectre image. But it's also one of the things that uh, gets to heightened realism, right? Of, we are a secret organization. Nobody knows who we are. Here is our rather large ring with a quite scary-looking logo on it. So uh, (laughs) I would have a a small necklace uh, with a cartoon squirrel on it something that just looks not even remotely evil so it's not suspicious <laughs> and small like quarter of an inch so people wouldn't necessarily not like a big like two inch cartoon squirrel <laughs> no <laughs> in order to be a part of the secret organization you must wear this giant giant squirrel pendant i just don't think that's wise espionage wise <laughs>